questions are going to be posed to you. Yeah. So, what a difference. Uh, let me set the stage here for my first question, which is uh, primarily why I asked you uh, to be on the program. What a difference uh, 20 days can make. So back on June 30th, out of your office, we get a, a nice uh, release uh, saying that the lieutenant governor is launching a, an online petition to try to get some of that federal stimulus money to be used to help small business. And uh, that was very nice. June 30th, 2020. Now, the uh, thing I want to mention to you, Dan, is that... Uh, Every day when the governor had her news briefings, whether it was Monday through Sunday or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, one of my jobs here at the station was to sit and listen to the briefings. And all of a sudden, uh, in the early part of July at the briefings, I started hearing more about the economy and small business and and um, money to uh, have reopening expenses for businesses and and I started hearing about, finally, some small business. Now, I know it must have been a coincidence that the governor started, <laughs> <laughs> that the governor started thinking about this um, at about the same time that, uh, that you did. It was just uh, coincidental. But anyway, uh, I'm being a little bit sarcastic. Could you spend a little bit of time telling us whether, in fact, now, part of that $1.25 billion uh, COVID-19 aid funds, whether any of it is really set aside for small business and um, and what kind of uh, help can small business uh, get? You're on, Dan. Yeah, so uh, it's interesting how you go public with a petition like that, as I said, in, you know, at the end of June, over, close to, I think, over 4,000 people have signed that petition which the petition stated that we want the governor to allocate uh, some of the federal dollars of the $1.25 billion to help small businesses. Uh, it, it, in the, in the, in the uh, guidelines uh, that were attached to that money, the federal guidelines, uh, a use for those funds was to help small businesses who are impacted by uh, the COVID-19 with grants. But what I, the interesting point is a month earlier, about three weeks earlier, I, I sent her a, a letter uh, asking for the same thing uh, and no response from her office uh, and really not even a public response on the, on the petition. But as you said, uh, the, the media has really helped uh, unlock this logjam, at least starting it, Roger. I think that's, that's the point. You know, re, you know, there's reporting going on. Your, your station, other stations are clarifying that those dollars could be used to, for grants to small businesses is happening around the country uh, and you can't use those dollars to plug a budget hole. So we've kind of clarified that. So the answer to your question is yes, there is going to be something uh, but it's nowhere near what our ask is uh, you know, in terms of our ask was to put $125 million, uh, in grants out of that $1.25 billion or 10% Get it to 10,000 businesses, spread it around the state proportionately on population so that every community would benefit from those, uh, a small business in every community would benefit from those dollars. Uh, well, what, what came out, well, and make it easily accessible, uh, and not have restrictions on it so that businesses like your business and other businesses, you don't have to be schooled or coached how to spend the dollars. If you received a, a $10,000 grant or $8,000 grant or whatever it is, 15, 
you would know how to spend that to help keep your business afloat. Well, there's a lot of what what we got was something a version that was not acceptable, uh, although it may help some, but it's not going to help as many people as we asked. So they got fifty million. There's fifty million dollars for grants. Uh, there's restrictions on how to apply. the application process hasn't come out yet. There's a, uh, a timing problem because the application is not going to come out for another week or two, and then the money is not going to stop flowing into the into the small businesses until uh, four weeks after that. So, so we're so we're we're happy that the as you said that the we've changed the uh, the dialogue, right? We've changed the discussion uh, and started focusing on areas that are really important, which is. Are our small businesses going to receive the help that they need to survive this pandemic? And when Stephen Pryor was uh, giving the answer about uh, the formula and about uh, verification, uh, I'm sitting there as a uh, small business uh, owner saying, um, uh, this sounds like a zig and a zag. Uh, and 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 maybe a lot of businesses are just too busy trying to stay afloat to even uh, even fill out the um, the application. I, uh, there's got to be an easier way. Well, I think there is. I'm, I'm not sure that uh, you know other states are doing it. Uh, you know, my 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 suggestion, and I sent a letter to the uh, uh, to, to uh, the uh, the adv- advisory committee uh, that was working with commerce. Uh, uh, last Monday, a week ago, yesterday, uh, outlining a very simple plan, Roger. It, it, it just, you gotta make these things very simple. It was 10%, under 25 million, uh, reach as many businesses as you can, you know, a goal of 10,000 businesses. Have the process be very simple, uh, and, uh, and direct. If you're a business and you're impacted by the, by the uh, COVID-19, you've lost uh, more than 30% of your revenue, you qualify. Uh, there was bonuses in for, for people in my plan, for people who didn't qualify for the PPP. People who did qualify for the PPP did not get excluded from that. Uh, we put a minority uh, bonus in and you qualified. Uh, and it was, and my thought was this, uh, get it to the local municipal leadership let them distribute it in their communities. That will get it out fast. Give them 30 days to get the money out. If they don't get the money out in their communities based on the criteria that was set by the state, uh, then uh, they, the money would roll back into the pool and then that get redistributed back into the communities that are exhausting the dollars. Um, and I had a conversation yesterday with a uh, with a contingent of, of, of business, and I'm meeting with everybody, right, Roger? So this was in this particular cause was call was focused in the minority business community, uh, and they were they were recommending, which I believe is good. Work with the municipalities. There's local uh, organizations that can work directly with the municipalities, and, and they know the businesses that are legitimate businesses that could use the dollars and could qualify. So. That, that was a streamlined proposal that I did put in. Uh, we have not had a serious conversation um, with Commerce or the governor's office about that proposal. So what we're doing now is that the small businesses themselves, the thousands of small businesses that signed the petition have joined the coalition at rismallbusiness.org are now going to formalize, and they're announcing today, they're going to be formalizing a nonprofit 
that's, that's grown out of this effort that we've done in our office so that they'll be formalized and they'll, and they're, and they're going to be pushing for the minimum of 125 million accessible, you know, with easy access. As you just mentioned, it's not easy. It's very complicated and get the money out fast. And that's kind of the first step, first ask of a series of things over the next year, two years, uh, that this nonprofit's going to be demanding in a formal way. And then hopefully the, the media really covers it because that's what's important. If the media doesn't cover this um, on behalf of the small businesses, and, I, and, and, and we all know how important the small businesses are to not only the small businesses, but the people who work there, the people in the communities, the municipalities that, re, you know, that rely on their taxes and everything else. I mean, it's the domino effect. Uh, if the media covers this, it won't be like a tree falling in the woods, nobody around, as one of my letters to the governor asking for this help ask, and offering my help uh, to meet and discuss this. So as uh, we close our discussion on this, uh, the program that is actually in place from the uh, Rhode Island Commerce Department is far and away different from the program that the coalition is trying to um, uh, to put forward. Uh, they sound like two different programs. Uh, they are not. Uh, they don't seem to be overlapping. Yeah, and they're not the same. And then you know, it took us a while to get. Uh, the, uh, you know, the media and, uh, and the general public to understand that th these COVID federal dollars appropriated to the state uh, guidelines say you can use these for grants to help these small businesses through this real economic crisis. And you can't use those dollars to plug the hole in the budget. So the governor was kind of given the impression that you could plug the hole in the budget and it, and, and what was not accurate, right? Uh, so now we've got another dilemma because the governor has come out with a proposal. It got the headline as $100 million, but it's $50 million. And uh, it, it gives her the impression that, oh, everything's taken care of there. Uh, no, we've got we to push back and say, this is not uh, enough. It's not acceptable. And it's too difficult to access. And not enough businesses are going to be able to participate in the grant strategy, which the grant strategy, Roger, is only buying time. We, you, you, you've been in business for a long time. We, I have as well. You know, ten thousand dollars to a business is not going to get them through the next year, but it might get them through the next thirty days, or sixty days, or ninety days, or one hundred twenty days. Might cover a payroll. And it, it'll, it'll cover payroll. And if you, but right now you're not allowed to use the money to cover payroll because the guidelines say that you have you have to use it towards. These are the restrictions that I don't. You know, it takes a while to get into it, but I want to let you know there's restrictions. It's for PPE, it's for plastic, uh, you know, guards, it's for uh, gloves, it's for hand sanitizers, it's for uh, rent, uh, but not everybody has rent, and it's for utilities, but it's not for payroll. And this is what disturbs me, is the fact that there's so many, uh, you know, restrictions, there's, there's so much uh, detail, we should be wipe, this is extraordinary times. We should be wiping through the detail, providing uh, criteria, get the money to as many businesses as we can, and then have them sign affidavits that they're going to that they're going to use the money for their business purposes, not personal. And if they if they don't, then they're subject to penalties and fines. But the businesses are going to go out, like you say, and cover the expenses that they know they need to cover. They don't need to be coached or schooled, and there's the, there's the problem. So, yeah, 
it's night and day between the ask that our office made and now the coalition is taking up and now they're going to form a, uh, a, a and we would love to have uh, you know the businesses in, in your in your area uh, in your in your media reach to uh, you know join this coalition and, and and push back on the governor and get these dollars into the community because remember 125 million dollars or whatever the number is and we said the minimum and then we also said we may have to revisit this in the fall if things haven't improved um, that has a multiplier of four times in the economy that would be like getting 500 million dollars into our economy because of the of the multiplier and my my proposal said distribute the dollars based on population so every community in the state receive the benefit of those dollars there's nothing in there that restricts that that distributes the dollar uh, dollars out uh, all 39 cities and towns in a proportionate way all those uh, all those dollars could get could get um going into one particular community or one street or one you know one area we need to distribute it throughout the whole area and one socket is one of those areas that needs it as much as anybody else now, Dan, here is uh, Dan McKee is our uh, Lieutenant Governor who's on our live line, if you're just joining us. Here's um, a question. Um, uh, if right now the program is not administered by the Lieutenant Governor's Office, it's administered by Rhode Island Commerce, whatever it is, it's that it's that's the agency that you have to go to. So my question to you is, constituent service, if a small business in Woonsocket, called your lieutenant governor's office is there anybody that could say yeah even though it's not our program we'll help you contact rhode island commerce and try to get money in the existing program while the lieutenant governor's coalition works on another plan because right now yours is a plan theirs is in in place would you do that kind of constituent service Roger, as you know, and we've been in touch with you during this whole process, as we are the other radio stations trying to lobby on behalf of those stations because they are important. You provide information out, and yet you're as impacted as anybody else or more uh, and economically in this COVID situation. So we've been working with every Tuesday and Friday for a while. Now Tuesdays we'll have a call today again. We'll be going over this, educating people, just like we did on the SBA loans. Mark A would be on again. We're still working with individuals and directly connecting them in on the SBA loans. So anybody who's out there, there's PPE, PPP money, which is that payroll protection plan. Those dollars are still available to businesses. We are helping them get those applications in just like we are with the DLT, uh, you know, Department of Labor and Training. Uh, Scott Weldon will be on the call again today. We're helping businesses and individuals work their way through the unemployment issues, even though that's not our responsibility. But we are taking that on. For information, same thing with Department of Business Regulation. We're having uh, Liz Tanner will be on again today, Director of De- uh, Department of Business Regulation. So we're going to continue doing that work, and now we're going to add in this fifty million dollars, and we are going to get you know play the role that we have on the uh, on the SBA, the DLT, and the and the DBR, and we're going to be a resource center for people to work their way through because we need to make sure if the if the if the governor does not change the plan and we are hopeful that she will although there's no guarantee that she will we got to get that 50 million dollars out the door because uh, if they don't get the 50 million dollars out the door they make it so complicated you can't get it then there's not another round coming 
All right. But if we get it out there, then there will be. The other piece that is really important for people who are listening right now that are in small business, that are sole proprietors, those dollars do not are not available to the sole proprietors. So the individual businesses who have, you know, the one, you know, that sole proprietorship, they are not, they are excluded from these grants, which is a large group of people uh, that have been, you know, uh, that are really in need right now, just like everybody else. But that, and, and, and they also represent a good portion of our local economy. A lot of our sole proprietors, they're not allowed to participate in this grant program. So uh, the bottom line, because I'm going to jump to a whole bunch of other questions, yep. the bottom line is um, as a constituent service, uh, your office will call Rhode Island Commerce and work with them. And I'm assuming Rhode Island Commerce, even though it's your office calling, is cooperative in, in moving the paperwork ahead, I assume. Yeah, th- th- you know, that's one thing I want to clarify here, too, is, you know, we don't get the, d- the head of the DBR or DLT uh, on our calls weekly if we had not, you know, have direct good relationships with these offices and okay. the extraordinary work that's coming out of that. We'll continue that, Roger. The answer's yes. And we're going to, we'll do that for people in Woonsocket or Westville or Cumberland or, you know, Foster Gloucester or, you know, out in Tiverton. I mean, we're, we're all over the state. Okay, we're going to jump around here uh, and just ask you um, your opinion um, because it's a, a thoughtful opinion on a whole bunch of uh, topics that are out there. Uh, the first one is education-related. I know that uh, you uh, have uh, taken a great interest in education uh, all through your career uh, as, a, as a mayor and as a lieutenant governor. So, therefore, the return of school to August 31st um, and the different levels that, that kids can go back to school, my fundamental question to you is, would you push for in-school um, in school attendance, knowing how important it is for the social aspect of going to school, or is uh, are we heading toward a, a new era of uh, of le- learning by uh, learning by computer? Well, how does this all strike you as you hear this debate out there? Yeah. So uh, one of the things that we are doing, we had an international economic ambassador program, Roger, that was supposed to get off the ground. People who traveled outside the country who lived in Rhode Island are going to be ambassadors for us. We think obviously there's no traveling. So we're talking all over the world right now, and we're talking about those specific things: Australia, Taiwan, uh, England, and uh, Israel. Uh, you know, uh, New Zealand about the reopening strategies. And I tell you, the schools are a top. A, a top uh, uh, priority everywhere in the world. But we also know that this pandemic is impacting everybody in the world, so it's not just isolated to Rhode Island. So the answer to the question is yes, I think that we are, we, I think we try to um, get kids back physically in the schools. Uh, but what does that look like, as you just said? That's, it's different in, in every place, you know. So, uh, you know, the, you're, you're hearing about, uh, you know, uh, sharing half the, half the week with one set of kids and the other half of the week with another set of kids and have other virtual learning going on. I think that you're going to see uh, a combination of that. Uh, I know that in the, um, the schools that I'm still involved in, uh, there is a, an effort to get kids physically back into school. There's many reasons for that. Oh, my God. You know that I've really worked uh, very hard and diligently about making sure that every kid has an opportunity to reach their potential. And there's learning gaps that already pre-exist. And, um, and Woonsocket, unfortunately, is sitting in an area where there's a large learning gap, right? So uh, it's very important that we figure it out to make sure that 
these students uh, get the attention that they need. And I think what's one of the things that needs to happen is, all right, so you have a model where some, say if you have two first graders in a, in a school, two first grade classes, uh, some schools are going to have uh, one first grade come in on Monday, Wednesday, Friday one week, and then the other first grade, the teacher will be teaching that, that set at, at home uh, because they can't put all the kids in the same uh, building because the square footage doesn't allow them to do the social distancing that they need uh, to do that. So, uh, but, uh, but yeah, there's got to be some really extraordinary efforts. There's another area where the, you know, that federal $1.25 billion could come in. The other things that I think that are not on the table right now that we need to figure out is there are organizations that, and, and even, even, uh, you know, especially into the, um, uh, well, all the kids, but we haven't brought in, for instance, the Boys and Girls Clubs yet, the YMCAs yet. Uh, they could act as that place where the, you know, the kids that are not uh, in uh, in class that day, but virtually, they, we could pr- figure out a way to use those resources to have those kids educated in a way uh, that's not in the schools. But but we have plenty of uh, uh, resources to get the uh, you know education uh, components in places like that. We've opened up in our in our in our town. We have an, uh, a mayor's office of education or a mayor's office for children and learning. Uh, that now plays a critical role in the town of Cumberland because we can do reading, math, we can do you know we can do art, music, and other things in that space attached to our library. So we're going to have to be very flexible about um, working with young you know our young young kids, uh, young boys and girls, and the high school students. It's just going to look different, but I think that if we rely only on the schools to get it done, I think that we're going to shortchange the kids. This is a time when we've got to bring the whole community in and then understand that, you know, we have teachers in those schools that, are, you know, get impacted by the health issues. they got to be protected. We have administrators. We have busing that has to kind of re- reshape itself because you can't cram 60 kids on a bus and do the social distancing. This is what being, I'm being told in other countries. So yeah, this is this is a, a thoughtful process, Roger. But I I, I, I haven't heard uh, how we're going to bring in the entire community and all the resources in the community uh, to you know cover the bases that we're going to need to cover. Florida, um, the Florida Teachers Union um, uh, statewide is uh, suing the state. Uh, they just feel it's. Um, um, you know, August 31st, September 1st, just too early a time to bring all um, children and, and schools together, no matter what kind of level uh, that they're talking about. Uh, they just don't want them uh, in the building. So, uh, you know, when you've got that kind of uh, resistance, it's, it's kind of tough to put a program together. Yeah, and I think that, again, I go through this even in my own, in my own family. There's, you know, uh, there's certain personal choices that we make. We've got to respect those. Uh, you know, you know, some people in my family are totally isolated. Some people feel as though they wear the mask and they got, you know, they're washing their hands and they're doing social distancing that they can be selective in terms of uh, going out and, and getting groceries or, uh, you know, going out to get their hair done or, what, you know, whatever it is. So <clears throat> we got to listen to them, Roger, and that's what's going to be complicated in terms of trying to figure it out. But in the end, as you started the conversation, the education of our kids, of our students, of our boys and girls that live in our communities, is the top priority uh, that we need to, you know, we need to really focus on. 
uh, and the health issues, as you said, with the with the with the people who are the, the adults that are you know delivering the education. Uh, yeah, we got we got to listen to them as well. But in the end, we got to provide strategy that make sure that our our, our boys and girls are educated uh, to a level where they need to be because long term our you know our economy their livelihoods are going to depend on how they learn how to read when they're in the first grade second grade third grade and beyond uh what they do on their math skills what do they do on their leadership skills what do they do on their you know their science skills we can't ignore that so that's why i think that uh, it might look different uh but the innovators and the ima- people with the imagination are going to figure it out uh, and then the, we need to make sure that we engage the parents, which is interesting how this virtual learning is engaging parents in a way that they haven't been engaged in, in quite a while. And I think that that's an actual upside positive to all this because you know that I believe that every parent should know what their school is doing, comparatively speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they in a good school, not in a good school? There's an opportunity to educate families and parents about what's happening in their kids' education now that we've never had before. Let's take advantage of those opportunities. But I, I will throw into the mix, though, what I just said. There are organizations like the Boys and Girls Clubs, the YMCA's, some of your, some of your, um, uh, you know, your, your child's daycare centers that are focused on education components that we could, um, you know, bring in to the effort here. So when kids are doing the virtual learning or the gaps that they're getting. Those gaps may be able to be closed with a, like an office for children learning in, in, in Cumberland. I think every community in the state of Rhode Island should have a municipal education office. And right now, Cumberland's going to be positioned really interestingly, Roger, because they've been at it for 13 mm-hmm. years, and they're going to be able to actually provide education programs outside of the school day year-round. And if we're smart, that we're going to be taking a look at the gaps that are developing, and we're going to try to fill those gaps outside of the schools as much as inside the schools. Next topic, um, I know that you are not the uh, Secretary of State. I know you're the Lieutenant Governor. However, the bill uh, for Rhode Islanders uh, to uh, participate in uh, mail ballots, uh, the the, uh, proponents say sending mail ballot applications to all qualified voters promotes full voter participation in every uh, election coming up. And um, and it's also... um, doesn't compromise their health and safety. So where does Dan McKee stand on on this business of uh, voting in person, or are we simply inevitable electronic um, uh, mail-in uh, ballots? I think it's similar to the schools, Roger. I think we're going <clears> to <throat> have to cover the bases and respect people, uh, you know, how they feel about this, this, this pandemic and, and their health, right? You don't want to see a Wisconsin happen, the primary happened in Wisconsin a few months back, social distancing they didn't do allow they didn't allow flexibility in terms of options to do the voting and they and and, and it was dangerous uh, you know they, you know so i think that uh, yet yet in our primary recently the presidential primary i know in cumberland and i went to a poll you know that there was fewer people there because there was more online stuff or uh, or you know mail ballot information I think this is an area where, where our Secretary of State, Natalie Gobert, is, is really working at it. We have weekly calls with our general offices, and that's one of the topics that, uh, that the Secretary brings up all the time. So I think it, we need to do everything we can to make sure that, that, that the person has the right to vote. Uh, and in this time frame, they may mail because they, of their circumstances or their feelings about this pandemic. 
They may have to get emergency ballots, as, as has been the practice for years. You can go to your town hall, you can go to your board of canvases and get an emergency ballot. Uh, and this is certainly a qualifiable for that as well. And, uh, and also people who are not, uh, you know, uh, inclined to uh, participate that way for whatever reason, maybe lack of access to, you know, to, to, to the information or lack of ability, and they want to go to the traditional route, you got to supply that as an option too. And I think what's going to happen here is that <clears throat> I think that you're going to have a, a, um, a higher level of, uh, of, of voters. Uh, that's what it has, it has shown that historically, that mail ballots actually ha- engage more voters. Uh, you know, you got to make sure that, uh, you know, it's being done right and it's on, you know, on the up and up. But I think that you're right. I think that we are heading into a new area. Uh, just like I mentioned with the schools, we're connecting with parents in a way that we have never done before because of the virtual concepts that we've been working on. Same thing here. The more people who vote, uh, you know, we should encourage to have, you know, 100% of the people who are eligible to vote, vote, right? Uh, and uh, right now, you know, in our general elections, we have relatively high outcomes, but we still don't meet that, you know, come close to the 100%. In our primaries, uh, we don't come anywhere near close to 100%. Uh, and anything that can increase the amount of people who vote in the primaries and the general election, Roger, gives the community more of a, uh, a voice, and it reflects that community more the more people who vote. So I'm into more and more people vote. I think our secretary is doing a really good job anticipating this, um, you know, these circumstances, and we, you know, and it's on her to make sure that it's done right and it's done uh, securely and uh, safely and. And also <clears throat> make sure that every vote counts. Every vote who can count counts. So we're we're in an era right now where um, <coughs> uh, we're changing uh, the names of uh, of ball clubs. Uh, we're we're changing product uh, identity. Uh, some products uh, can't be called what they used to be called. And um, locally here in Rhode Island, uh, we were asked about this ten years ago, but now uh, they're asking us on a ballot to uh, change our name, State of Rhode Island and Providence Plantations. I guess just to State of Rhode Island. Um, and I think uh, my question is in a much broader context than just the ballot question of dropping plantations. Uh, but the whole tone of things, I think when we first got on the air, I think you were just saying, well, aren't we <laughs> being, aren't we being interviewed in different times? And we, I mean, you, you and I have talked on the radio uh, a million times, but never with a a level of discomfort. I don't have discomfort with you, but I'm just discom. I just don't even like coming to work every day because this is an environment that is very, very unpleasant for me. So, how about commenting about all this change? But do take a position on Providence plantations, Dan. Yeah. So right off the bat, on the on the, on the state change here, I think when the vote went out ten ten years ago, I don't think that there was a discussion the same way uh, it is today. I, I think if you polled people at that time, <clears throat> I think that most people would believe that Rhode Island never had a history in slavery, uh, and uh, and yet we know that now. You know, we know now that they that we did. Not only were we involved with the slave trade, but we also had plantations in in the state uh, in in the 1800s uh, that had slaves on them. So I think that the connotation of the word plantation. I believe it reflects the uh, the issue of slavery. Uh, we kind of think of it in the context of the of the plantations in the South. Uh, so yeah, I think that you know I I, I, I think that it 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 makes sense. State of Rhode Island, 
99.9% of the time you stay at Rhode Island. You don't say state of Rhode Island province plantations. Uh, taking that plantation out at this point in time makes sense to me. Uh, you know, if it gets to the ballot, that's the way I'll vote. Everybody needs to vote that way. But I would make sure that everybody was, was on the full understanding that Rhode Island was not exempt during those time frames rel- relative to slavery. Uh, not only did it was it the, the point of entry for many of the slaves that ended up getting sold uh, in, in other parts of the country, in the southern part of the country, but we also we also had uh, you know we also had um, uh, you know plantations on the, in Rhode Island where there were slaves. So so yeah, so I think that when people understand that hey. There is a connection to slavery in Rhode Island. They may feel a bit differently about it on this time. My expectation is that that will get approved, although many people will say, oh, don't don't deal with my history that's not connected. You know, Roger Williams wasn't connected well in that way. Well, um, the state, unfortunately, was. So that's where I stand on that. Um, as far as the other awarenesses that are going on, <laughs> I... I I, I think that it's I think that it's healthy. I mean, you have got a state like Mississippi going to take a, take the Confederate flag off because, you know, it's pretty well acknowledged that that Confederate flag stood for, uh, you know, a group of people in the in the country who tried to blow up the blow up our country, right? Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, they they happen to be uh, neighbors of people who were you know at the time and friends and da da da. But really, in the context of that war, it was fought to to, you know, basically, uh, you know, blow up our Constitution. It was, it, it was, it was fought to secede from, from the country and split up the country. That, you know, in the context of that, I don't think that's something that we should be celebrating. And the, and the reason that they were fighting was primarily to keep their economy going, which was in large part based on slavery. So, uh, yeah, I think that, I think that it's important that we understand the context of the history, but... We also uh, continue evolve, keep evolving, Roger. I've said money many, many times in public about this, you know, this, uh, you know, this perfect but imperfect journey that we're on called democracy, and it is a it is a working document, and we need to continue to to uh, get to the point where we're getting closer and closer to that. All men are created equal, and and everybody has the right to li- you know through the pursue their life, liberty, and ha- and, and happiness. So, uh, yeah, the, our principles are really uh, important, and 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 yet we are on this journey that you know. And I think that we need to you know understand that it is an imperfect but perfect journey. It's a perfect journey about getting to a point where all, we we really realize that everybody is equal. But we haven't had that history in the country, and there's data that shows that certain individuals, especially people of color, and that have been disadvantaged, and they have more hurdles to jump than others. So I don't say don't celebrate, you know, my son or my daughter, I have a success, and they jump over a, a certain amount of hurdles to get there. We should need to celebrate that. But some of the kids I coached uh, that, uh, you know, were of color, uh, they have more hurdles to jump, mm-hmm. and we need to recognize that. So, uh, Dan, um, do you still want to consider being governor uh, under <laughs> these circumstances or have you changed your mind well let me tell you roger i'll tell you this you know i i went through two very difficult economic uh financial uh crises when i was a mayor in cumberland uh boy i this is going to be cha- this is going to be challenging for <laughs> whoever's in charge i 
you know, we're going to certainly, uh, I'm sitting in the lieutenant governor's spot, and if I do become governor, I'm ready to do it and uh, ready to tackle the the issue in a way that uh, is going to be long-term, uh, you know, type of, uh, you know, thought process about how we're going to recover from this. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's important that somebody, if you, if you want to be governor, and, you know, my plan is to run. I, I've said that. I haven't announced. Uh, but you better have a plan because if you don't have a plan, uh, then you're going to be uh, in there, uh, you know, in that spot, and you're not going to really uh, deliver like like I was fortunately to do with some people that I was able to help out, you know, in, in the town of Cumberland recover from a, a very, you know, big downgrades on our bond ratings and that type of thing. So, yeah. I, I think that it gives pause, doesn't it? Yeah. Hey, Dan, uh, uh, this is not a question. Uh, um, uh, one of our listeners uh, sent us a note here asking you about daycare centers, and I, it, it's not a question. It just says, ask about daycare centers. Do you have anything to say about uh, daycare centers as it relates to our current situation? Yeah, I mean, our daycare centers are important. Remember, they... They weren't allowed to open up, and now they are opening, but they're under heavy restrictions and large, very extreme cost to satisfy. I think they're like uh, they're well under fifty percent of capacity because of the way that the, you know the social distancing. So they they need help, and um, and and the and the restrictions for them to open up uh, is is causing many of them not to not to reopen, and the cost. And now you go back to. Our original concept of getting these grants out there uh, freely and out there there's many daycares right now that could use that ten thousand dollars to reopen uh, you know very important and I and as I said on the education context Roger I think that we should be looking at these places that are working with young people uh, you know uh, in a way where we empower them to fill the gaps in that's going to happen in our you know in our schools because of the circumstances so so daycares are extremely important right now, uh, and, and critically important in terms as we all reopen the economy, uh, figuring out ways to, um, you know, if kids are going to be at home. This is the other reason why I think we need to bring in organizations like the Boys and Girls Club, Partner in the Wise, and other things like that, because families or parents who have kids at home at a certain age need to be ho- at home, and they can't go to work. And so this impacts their economy, impacts our economy. So that's where the daycares uh, are going to play a role. But there's not one spot, Roger, that's going to fill the gaps that we're going to have to fill in terms of taking care of us, uh, you know, the boys and girls that live in our community. That's why I think that a more a wider community approach, daycares, boys and girls clubs, libraries, uh, you know, mayor's office of education in Cumberland, these are all areas that we're going to be able to give families relief so that they can go out and work. Uh, earn a living uh, as the economy reopens. Otherwise, if they if their kids are at home and there's no other places to bring them, uh, then those you know part of that family needs to be at home with their kids. So uh, complicated, but a very good very good observation by your by your caller. Okay, uh, Dan. Thanks for being with us. I I didn't do any commercials. Uh, went straight through, so I got to catch up on a few ads. But I want to thank you for being with us. Unless. Uh, there was something you wanted to say that I forgot to ask you. No, the only thing is, that, you know, we're, we're going to get you, again get the information. Thank you for reaching out to me on, mm-hmm. on our, uh, you know, the push for more uh, uh, grants and more activity to help this business. But we also, as you said, we're going to be keeping people posted on what what little becomes available so they can take advantage of that as well. They can go call our office at 222-2371. 
on that issue or any issue that they're impacting them right now. Our office is taking calls and we're helping people every day. Thank you, Dan. Have a good day. Dan McGee, he is the Lieutenant Governor of the State of Rhode Island on our live line this morning. Thank you, Dan. And now let's uh, catch up with a few ads. Are you thinking about opening a business or expanding your existing business? Do you need a building to rent or purchase? Call one of the best commercial realtors around who has helped over 30 businesses start up or grow in our community. Contact Garrett Mensary at Gateway Realty who can help you find that place that works for you. His phone number is 401-651-1519 and start your search today. There's plenty of office, retail, manufacturing, industrial, or vacant land properties out there on the market and Garrett Mensary can find it for you. His phone number again is 401-651-1519. So give him a call today. Kayer Kosher, your accounting, financial planning, tax preparation, and business consulting services of Woonsocket and Warwick. 600 Cass Avenue, Woonsocket, Jefferson Boulevard, and Warwick. Call us locally at 766-8100. Remember, outside of the tax season, we do planning for business, individuals, and families. We're Kayer Kosher. We're certified public accountants. Again, our local number, 766-8100. And remember, having Kayer Kosher to consult with on your personal financial situation is like having all the right answers. How about lunch today? Ask for the luncheon menu at the Roast House. Inside or outside dining? The Roast House is open seven days a week and our hours are 11.30 a.m. to 9 p.m. And we're featuring outside dining and inside dining and, of course, takeout. To make a reservation to dine at the Roast House, call 508-883-7700 and check our menu on the Internet for theroasthouse.com. Thank you for your support during this period of transition. The Roast House, Farm Street, Blackstone. We welcome back old and new customers for inside and outside dining. If you need a plumber, I hope you'll consider Ray Dion, Dion's Plumbing Systems. From Cumberland, serving the greater Woonsocket area, we do residential and commercial work. We work on kitchens and bathrooms, heating systems, drain cleaning. We're licensed, we're insured. Over 30 years experience from Ray Dion, you can expect clean, neat, dependable, and courteous work. So when the pipes burst, think of Dion's Plumbing first. The number to call is 334-6060, Dion's Plumbing Systems. We do bathrooms, kitchens, heat and hot water systems, and all kinds of special work as it relates to plumbing. Dion's Plumbing Systems. Think of us. We'll do it right for you. Nice uh, California winery is the uh, Tisdale Wineries. And right now, Tisdale Wine on special at uh, Champs Liquors or Keyway, Clinton Street. You can go inside. And, um, and if you like a red, we have a nice uh, Tisdale Merlot. And if you like a, a nice white, we have a nice Tisdale uh, Sauvignon Blanc. And if you like a little sweeter wine, a nice Moscato. All from Tisdale, California wineries. Two bottles for $10. You can't beat the price at Chance Liquors for Keyway. Clinton Street open seven days a week. And uh, we will always sell you Tisdale wine for $10. Two bottles. At Champs Liquors. We'll see you tomorrow on the Upfront program. This has been WNRI's Upfront, presented weekday mornings at 8 a.m. Upfront is a regular public affairs presentation of News Talk 1380. WNRI won't sock it. Author's Hour up next with uh, Mr. Wayne Barber at 9.05.